I'm Audrey, and you're listening to the Agworth Podcast. And radio show. With, with our dad, Jeff Shulman. I'm Jeff Shulman, a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, and we are nearing the end of this season of Seattle Growth Podcast and radio show. Through the last nine weeks, I've been bringing diverse perspectives together on how Seattle will emerge from these challenging times. I've been able to conduct safe, socially distanced interviews thanks to the kind folks at KBFG Radio. And for those of you who have joined me on this journey, we've learned quite a bit about adapting professionally and personally to drastically new circumstances. We've learned what makes Seattle a special place during the pandemic and beyond. And we've also learned how people from a broad range of backgrounds and neighborhoods are experiencing the challenges of our city. Today's episode, we will release the Kraken, or at least release insight into how the Seattle Kraken's VP of Community Engagement and Social Impact has adapted to the pandemic. Mari Harita's perspective shares valuable lessons for how organizations fundamentally built on in-person connection can use their values as a North Star in adapting to new realities. You will also hear from Ben Petter, president of Avara Construction, a tenant improvement contractor who builds office space throughout the region. Avara Construction was selected by Seattle Business Mag as one of the 100 best companies to work for. And Petter shares how the pandemic has impacted his ability to continue to take care of his employees and his customers. He also shares an interesting piece of data that gives clues about upcoming growth in the region. You won't want to miss it. But before we get to the interviews, I want to say thank you to all the guests and listeners of this season of Seattle Growth Podcast and Radio Show. I've noticed that there is much more that Seattle residents have in common than that which divides us. This point was noticed by last week's guest and avid listener of Seattle Growth Podcast, Josh Shea, who wrote on Twitter, It's been interesting with how diverse of guests you've had this season that there's such consensus on basic issues. Now, I want to hear from you. What themes have you noticed emerge from the distinct voices on this season? Reach out to me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman, to let me know any takeaways you've noticed. I want to hear what you've found consistent across multiple guests' point of view. That's at Prof Shulman on Twitter. Now, to hear about the Seattle Kraken and about collaborations among businesses, nonprofits, and government, join me as I have a conversation with Mari Harita. I'm here with Mari Horita, the Vice President of Community Engagement and Social Impact at the Kraken, the NHL team coming here to Seattle. Mari, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me here. Uh, so why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself? Well, I joined the Kraken just almost two years ago now, but I've spent most of my life in Seattle. I grew up here. Actually, my dad was a professor here at the University of Washington, so I would uh, run our dog here on weekends. Um, and then I went through the public school system, when I away for college, came back to the UW for law school, practiced law for a while, ran a nonprofit, and now I'm uh, at the, the new hockey team. Yeah, let's talk about the hockey team just briefly. For those who've been living under a rock, uh, <laughs> where, are, where is the hockey team in, in process here? Well, we have a name, which is exciting because for the first year and a half, that was always the question people asked, and um, obviously we couldn't answer it. Uh, so the Seattle Kraken, and we are building the new Climate Pledge Arena, as you also probably know, on the Seattle Center campus, which is very exciting. It's going to be this state-of-the-art uh, sports and entertainment venue with, under a historic 44 million pound uh, landmark roof, and that is knock on something moving forward uh, according to plan. And so we'll be home to the Seattle Kraken, the Seattle storm a future nba team and uh 
80 plus concerts a year plus other activities. And tell me about your role. What is it that you do there? And can you tell me a little bit about what it was when you started and what <laughs> yeah. it is now? It changes every day. Uh, well, so my charge is to develop and and then oversee and implement the uh, community engagement, civic engagement, and social impact strategy and objectives for the organization that includes forming and running a 501c3 charitable foundation, uh, as well as co-leading our DE&I efforts. And then I've also uh, been working on the art plan, both for the external uh, plaza around the arena and now the interior of the arena and also up at the Northgate facility. And so before we get to my standard list of questions that I have for all my guests, can you just tell me, uh, have you been busy already? Is there activity in the community or are you waiting until we have players, a team, and fans in the seats? No, we've been busy already. And and as I mentioned to you, I was actually among the first hires, which I think is unusual for pretty much any company, but certainly a sports team. But our CEO, Todd Laywicki, is so committed to giving back and making a positive difference that this was one of his first hires. And so we hit the ground running. Um, you know, we like I said, we don't exist yet. We're not generating revenue, but uh, we've done a number of things, including figuring out how we can lean into the situation um, with COVID and, and offer some relief. So um, we answered the city's call to to help raise funds to support a grocery voucher campaign for the tens of thousands of families who suddenly were facing food insecurity uh, and also support um, the organizations around the Seattle Center campus. Uh, we've raised close to a million dollars for that. Uh, we've invested over close to half a million dollars with youth care, our primary charitable partners. We've done a lot of outreach with schools and nonprofits, um, among a lot of other things uh, in the in the pipeline. So, you know, we're, we're very busy. We're very active. This is a huge part of what we're all about. And yes, winning the Stanley Cup is, is top of mind. Um, and, and so is giving back to this community. All right. So you mentioned COVID and now we can get to my standard list of yeah, questions that sure. everybody's getting and we're hearing different answers from everybody. How are you coping with COVID and the pandemic in your role with the Seattle Kraken? I mean, this is all predicated on being out there in the community, all predicated on people eventually coming into the stands and being a part of this Seattle Kraken community. How has your work changed with the pandemic and how have you gotten through that? Yeah, no, you raise a great point because, as you said, you need to be out there and forming these bonds in person and and screen time can't replace that I know people talk about oh this is the way this is the way of the future and I I believe there will be screen time in the future in a way that there hasn't been in the past but you cannot replace interpersonal uh, communications and just relationship building through through your computer so fortunately for us like I mentioned we started our work a while ago and so Back in early 2019, we were out in the community. We were holding uh, community meetings. We were going to different parts of the city where hockey historically hasn't been. We were doing tons of outreach to nonprofits, to foundations, to civic and business leaders to meet with them, to hear from them. And so COVID obviously has changed the way we go about it. Um, But we are building upon a lot of those relationships that we started before this hit. Uh, There's still so much need out there, too. So we've shifted some of our work. Uh, We can't go to the schools. We can't go to the community centers. So we've gone virtual, as has everyone, and and done some storytelling or uh, skills training uh, or virtual field trips to work with our our community partners that way. And how does that work with, you know, hockey is an in-person sport and obviously is probably shelved by the regulations at this point. So how do you get people excited about hockey 
and still making a positive impact in their life like you had planned to do through this digital world? Yeah. Well, from the from the hockey piece of it, um, as mentioned, we, we've been depending on who your market is, but we've been doing storytelling for younger kids about hockey and and specifically hockey in non-traditional communities and reading books about that. We've been doing, like I mentioned, skills training, whether it's with you know a, a mop and a can versus a stick and a, a puck. Um, and we've also worked with a great nonprofit called Upower to distribute some equipment to low-income families um, and their kids so that they can stay active during this time because it's one of the hardest things is people are feeling cooped up and they can't stay active. And for young people in particular, um, that's a huge challenge and has lots of ramifications. So, so even a little bit of the equipment distribution is helpful. Have your priorities changed with the pandemic in terms of where you put your dollars and where you put your time to make that social impact and to engage the community? I wouldn't say our priorities have changed. Um, from the beginning, we were very focused, so our foundation focus is about equity and sustainability. And, and then we have an organizational just commitment to, to giving back and, and inclusion. Um, we, our pillars in the foundation are, are helping to end youth homelessness through a partnership with youth care, a very holistic partnership with youth care. It's also about uh, creating greater opportunities for youth, underserved youth, BIPOC youth, in and through hockey, just opportunities in life. Um, and then also building out some work in uh, the environmental justice space, which is not unrelated to the first two, really looking at the same communities that um, have not had the same level of investments or uh, representation in a lot of the decisions that affect them. So the priorities haven't changed. Maybe where we've leaned into them has a little bit. Um, you know, like you said, COVID hits and we're like, huh, okay, how do we shift to do what we're doing. So as I mentioned, um, when the city reached out to us back in, I think it was April and said, families are starving. Like, how, how can you help us? And and so Tim, our CEO, Todd, our CEO and his brother, Tim, the OVG CEO, because this is how they operate, they're like, we're going to, we're going to do something. And so in a pandemic, they're like, let's do this massive workplace giving campaign. Like, okay. So it was our staff in Seattle, staff in OVG in California, some of our arena building partners like Populous, not even here, but they leaned into this, owners, um, executives to raise close to a million dollars for this. And we had over 50% staff participation. This was virtual. This is half the people hadn't even met each other, but it, I think, speaks to the kind of people being hired in this organization. And and so then we were able to then distribute that to United Way. And like I mentioned, the 21 nonprofit arts and cultural organizations around the Seattle Center campus who will be our future neighbors and who are just getting hammered by the pandemic. I mean, I, I need to take the opportunity to call out the arts groups because um, they're probably one of the hardest hit of all industries. They have no means of really making earned revenue, which counts for anywhere between 25 to 80 percent, 80 percent of their budget. So um, the amount we raise for them is not making a dent, and we acknowledge that, but we wanted to at least tell them we see you, we stand by you, we look forward to that better future when we're all here again on campus. And then the other piece I would mention is when you know we did our brand launch a few months ago, which to us is a huge deal, to our fans a huge deal. It's it's what we've been building up to for almost two years, but we also acknowledged it was happening against the backdrop of much much bigger issues in society, in our community, in the world, with the pandemic ongoing, with the national civil rights reckoning, um, and so we wanted to figure out like how do we balance that and through some innovative thinking and, and leadership on our, our executive team and our and our owners also managed to negotiate a one-month um, separate website for a charity line, which I don't think any other sports teams 
have done. I could be wrong, but um, that w- it was called Release the Kraken. It was only online from July 20-something to August 21st. All of the net proceeds would go to support uh three nonprofits and originally we're thinking oh this would be a great way to support youth care um, because we know their needs were exacerbated by the the COVID situation but then after George Floyd's murder and just the conversation elevating around um, racism and systems of oppressions in our in our country for centuries well this is an opportunity to lean into this it's already an area that you know we're very focused on equity and inclusion it's an already an area that we prioritize but we thought this is one more way we can help. So we selected um, two black-led, black-focused organizations, Urban League and Metropolitan Seattle, and then this great grassroots community organization called Community Passageways, which among other things has a felony diversion program, and use some of our proceeds to then support their work. Any lessons from how you and the Seattle Kraken have adapted to the pandemic? that you would impart that somebody else in another organization might be able to take to heart? Be creative. You know, just like, don't assume that just because it didn't work a certain way, like, you do, okay, we're just not going to do it. It's like, all right, what's the what's the problem you're trying to solve? Can't do it that way. What can we do? And a lot of groups are finding there's a silver lining to it. And so um, this is a little not answering your topic. There's a silver lining to this in that, uh, organizations, including ours, are then finding new ways to, to solve problems that we otherwise wouldn't have thought about. And so it's not to say that we're going to then only do that moving forward, but we have this new way of solving that problem that we will continue to incorporate once we're out of COVID. And so, you know, as we're looking for those, those few silver linings and bright spots in this time, um, that has been very helpful, not only to us, but certainly to other organizations as well. And now I want to shift gears to Seattle, but still stay focused on the pandemic. Yeah. The pandemic's been challenging for people all around the country and the world. Uh, are there any aspects of Seattle in particular that have made coping or adapting in the pandemic easier or better for you, either personally or professionally? Well, no, I would say, yeah, for sure. The way that we're handling, you know, just safety and science and wearing masks and, and taking precautions. I appreciate being in a city and a region where people take that seriously. And are there any aspects of Seattle that have made going through a pandemic more challenging, either professionally or personally? That one's harder for me to answer because I don't know so much of what other cities are doing in that respect. I would say that the flip side of being super cautious and taking all these measures is I'm concerned for our local businesses. Um, sometimes measures are great, but they're uniformly applied where you're like, well, does that really make sense here? And I, I, I don't know what, I don't think there's a perfect answer to it, but um, there's a lot of businesses really struggling and restaurants really struggling. And so just keeping in mind, yes, we need to do what's right for the safety of everyone here. And we also have to do what's right for you know our working force and making sure they're taken care of so now it is time for new this season on seattle growth podcast we're doing trivia where i ask the guests local trivia and then the listeners will be able to be guessing at home here's your trivia question since you're working with the sports franchise uh there was another sports franchise here in seattle the seattle supersonics as you said you hope to uh your organization hopes to bring them back to the Climate Pledge Arena. On the Supersonics, there was a player named Donald Watts, his son. He and his son have Watts Basketball Camp, and he had a nickname based off of uh, he was one of the first NBA players to wear a headband and to shave his head. 
Uh, so Donald Watts, he appeared in Seattle, season two of Seattle Growth Podcast and appeared in my documentary On the Brink. Do you, can you guess his nickname? I haven't seen that, but a Slick Watts. So you're, you say you don't know the trivia, but you come in Well, I mean, everyone knows that. <laughs> slick Watts. Uh, we, will, we will leave the listener in suspense as to whether your confidence is an indication that uh, his nickname was, in fact, Slick Watts, or if the confidence was misplaced. So okay. we will see later in the show. Thank you for playing the trivia. Now let's move to Seattle and the changes that you've seen here, perhaps unrelated to the pandemic. Are there any recent changes in the city that have impacted you negatively that you'd like to discuss? Well, I recently moved downtown to a condo with my daughter across the street from the West Precinct. So that's been interesting. Um, You know, I think, though, when I think about the challenges in Seattle, I don't think they're that different from challenges elsewhere, maybe in a different form a little bit. But I think the greatest challenge is a word for it. There's a lot of pain in our society right now, a lot of pain. And we see it in our city. We see it nationally. I think the recent presidential elections demonstrated beyond beyond any shadow of a doubt that there's this vast and mind-blowing disconnect between people in our country. And so um, that's something that we're all having to face and grapple with and and it's so in our face right now and it's so um undeniable that we have to make this choice of oh are we going to try to fix this because this is a problem or are we just going to pretend this massive thing isn't there or are we going to dig our heels in just so deeply that you know we're not going to budge on our own perspectives and so that's to me this this cloud that's existing on all of us here in Seattle as well as everywhere else in the country uh to me that's you know in addition to the pandemic that's like inescapable and and how does that cloud then affect you like what is it doing to you personally well we're all tired I mean everybody's tired and exhausted and stressed out so once again I don't think my situation is so unique at all um I think that in our own organization, uh, which was really founded on a commitment to inclusion, we get to build our whole new culture of what our organization's about as well as what we want the culture of hockey to be here. It's, it's been good in that uh, we're having these conversations that we were going to have anyway, but now they're so prevalent um, that it's, it's, it's relevant to, to everyone. So it's been positive in that way. And I think actually I was on a DSA board call this morning. We were also having a conversation about this. And um, it's tiring, but it's necessary. So it's this, you know, opportunity, challenge opportunity situation. But I, I'm encouraged in that at least the people I'm talking to are actually talking about it, authentically talking about it. And not in a theoretical way and not in a, well, I'm right in their wrong kind of way, but just like, oh my God, this is a thing and we need to figure it out and step back and maybe reassess our own way of thinking and try to understand other people and have some empathy and compassion. And then also commit, all of us commit to put our, set aside our personal differences and shoot toward that bigger goal. So it's, that's the, I guess the silver lining or that the hope that comes out of this current challenge. So you're feeling the weight of it personally as you're wondering what can you do and how yeah. does it... Uh... Well, yeah, and I mean, you know, I'm a woman of color, so, so, but I'm 
an Asian woman of color. And, and so there's, there's a lot of different, <laughs> there's a lot of different stuff there. And, and, um, but, but I guess it's not something like I, I don't have the privilege to wake up and not think about it. But then again, my story is very different from others, and I haven't suffered as much, many, much as many others. And so, also thinking about that, like I don't understand everybody's perspectives. And so, I, th- I think, you know, but as a woman of color, it's it's just something I've always thought about. You said there's some silver linings, is that people are now talking about this and, and seeing what they can do. Are there any other changes you've seen in Seattle that are positive in these last? I don't know, nine months or a year or so? So so one is that I think people are having very authentic conversations and trying to figure out how to get to a better place. So I think that's very positive. I'm, I think what also is positive, and I don't know if it's um, necessarily new, but what gives me hope is that, uh, you know, this region's always been a place that's been a magnet for really smart and engaged and caring people w- across industries. And so whether our business sector or arts and cultural sector or sports sector, um, they're all awesome in their own right. So whether it's the companies that are born here and now they're global leaders or, you know, our arts and cultural sector and our artists even now under siege are finding ways to create joy for others and, and promote healing. And then, you know, we have an awesome sports <laughs> sports scene getting better. Great players, great fans, great teams. Um and they all care about things bigger than themselves. They all care about things beyond their particular area. And they're all willing to work together. Because I've worked in a law firm, I've worked in a nonprofit arts group, and I'm working in the professional sports world. And I don't think that's, that's common to every other city. All of these groups across industries cooperate. So that's very encouraging. So are there any other changes in Seattle that you'd like to comment on that have affected you either personally or professionally? Well, the, the biggest change is just the approval of the 32nd NHL franchise. I mean, that, <laughs> that's, that's the biggest change on me. Um, but no, like I said, I, I, I personally feel that, that a lot of the, the big things that are happening right now are not unique to Seattle. We have obviously our own nuances, but, but these are big, the problems that are much bigger than just our city. So now let's talk about the future of our city. Uh, is there anything that you would like to ask of the listener, given the changes that you're seeing, that could help build a better future for Seattle? I would say two things. I'd say one, as I mentioned before, to the extent that we all can with all the stress and, and, and anxiety we're feeling, um, really try to listen to other people with different views. And, and I'm not great at that so I'm not saying you know I'm a leader in that at all but but I know it's necessary we have to do that really openly listen with an open mind acknowledge that we all have to do some shifting and that if we want to get to where we want to go it's we're not gonna no one's going it's not gonna be perfect for anyone no one's gonna be totally happy with everything at the end and we have to be okay with it and we have to let go of that and if you're not willing to do that essentially you're making a choice to not move forward together and the second thing I would say is is to listen to young people too. You know, I, I I'm really encouraged um, by the younger generations. God, I feel so old when I say that, but I, I I'm very encouraged with what I see. I have a 16 year old daughter, and like the entire week of the election, she and her friends were on the phone, you know, talking through different scenarios and going through electoral math. And they're 16, and I I never did that. And they're so engaged and they're so informed. And um, the fact that these young people know and care so much bodes well so I think it's important that we listen to them 
in the last 10 years, we've had an unprecedented amount of people and money moving into Seattle. And I'm curious, what is your outlook for the future of Seattle? Well, I'm going to say I'm, I'm hopeful um, in part because I don't think that the alternative is a viable option. I think you give up hope and you just give up. So I'm hopeful, but I'm also not a Pollyanna. And uh, I, I believe that if enough people make the choice to actually try to move forward together that we can because we have a business sector who cares because we have an arts and cultural sector who cares and is committed because we have a sports sector who cares and a nonprofit sector and a civic sector because seattle has always been that kind of a community we're not perfect we need to acknowledge that we need to acknowledge our own you know hypocrisies if you will and and really listen and reflect but um i'm i'm I derive hope from that and creative ways to solve some of the bigger problems and not to self-promote here, but, you know, Amazon's partnership with Climate Pledge Arena is a great example of saying, hey, we want to do a normal naming rights deal. And they're like, no, we want we want to do this because this is a much bigger issue than the naming rights deal. I'm like, yeah, so to leverage to leverage that platform and to push us to think differently and, and higher um, as an example of the innovative partnerships, I think that will help get us to where we need to go. And then also I have great hope in our our young people because they care and they are informed and uh, they are more questioning of our pasts in order to, I think, create um, a better future for everyone. So, so that gives me a lot of hope. All right. So you're hopeful on the next 10 years of the long-term future of Seattle. What about the next 10 months? What do you see uh, as the pandemic has kind of reshaped and you live downtown, as you said? Yeah. Uh, what do you see for the next 10 months? Well, I, as I said, I live downtown and some people are like, oh, my God, it's horrible. And we love it. I mean, you know, it's it's not probably what it was in its heyday, but we, we love downtown. So for anyone who's saying it's it's a war zone, we don't feel that. And I, I, I live down there with a kid and we feel very safe and, and it's fun. Um, just have to put the plug in for downtown. But um the next, I would say this because I don't know because everything keeps changing and we keep making these predictions and then something else happens and then things get changed. But I would say in general, I'm encouraged that, like I said, I'm happy to live in a place that prioritizes safety and science. And so I feel pretty good about that. And I think Seattle will be fine in that respect. I don't think our hospitals are going to become overrun. I think we'll be okay. Um, there are a lot of conversations happening in our business community, in our nonprofit community, in leadership overall, in the public sector as well, about how do we try to move forward. And, you know, that's a work in progress. It's a yet to be seen, but those conversations are going on. And so I have to remain cautiously optimistic. Um, and then I would say also with the, the prospect of vaccine on the horizon, I mean, that's even emotionally, I think it gives people a little bit of a lift, and that's that's helpful because I mean there will be papers written, many many written about just our own right. What is our psychological state right now? And to have that to look forward to, I think is is uh, is uplifting for all of us. Before we get to concluding thoughts, I have to tell you the answer to the trivia question. Your confidence was well deserved. It is in fact Slick Watts, one of the greats on the court, but also. As you noted, in the community, he's continued to give back to Seattle. So Slick Watts for the listener, uh, but you already knew that with confidence. Uh, Donald Watts' nickname was Slick. So now, um, any concluding thoughts? My concluding thought, I guess, would be, or, or, or offering suggestion, would be to focus on the things most important to you, uh, the people most important to you, 
this has been a moment for us to shed some of the distractions and material temptations and really center. And and so that's been a, a silver lining and maybe a bit of a divine intervention of, hey, just course correct and really focus on what's in front of you, what's important. Um, and so for me personally, having the time to spend with my 16-year-old daughter in a way that I never otherwise would have has been a gift for which I'll forever be grateful. So um, there are some bright spots. There's a lot to be grateful for and hold on to that. Mari, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. Thank you. Next up is an interview with Avara Construction President Ben Petter. Before I get to this interview, I wanted to remind you that if you enjoy learning about Seattle, its history, and its future, check out the documentary I produced with co-director Stephen Fong on pbs.org. On the Brink tells an important story of history, hope, and determination. More relevant now than ever before and streaming free on www.pbs.org. That's On the Brink, and you can find my documentary on pbs.org. Now... Join me as I sit down with Avara Construction President Ben Petter. I'm here with Ben Petter, uh, President of Avara Construction. Ben, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for having me on. Uh, why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself and about Avara Construction? Sure. Um, about, about myself, I guess. I uh, grew up in Woodenville. Um, haven't really gone far from home. I live in Kirkland currently. I uh, went to the UW, went to Woodenville High School, went to the UW, um, got my finance degree, and um, kind of bounced around uh, between, uh, been ultimately involved in, in construction my whole life, which was not anything that I uh, had intended to go toward, but it sort of, you know, you follow the paths in life and that's where the opportunity leads. So I uh, started in residential construction, was involved in uh, investment real estate, and then eventually uh, started this company in 2015. And so tell me, wh- where might we recognize the work of Avara Construction? Sure. So we're, um, we're in the uh, commercial interiors business, uh, which means that we do um, primarily, I mean, up, up until sort of COVID, and we'll, we'll talk about that later, but uh, uh, tenant improvement work. Um, so we, we work in a lot of the uh, CBD office buildings, uh, downtown Seattle, downtown Bellevue, and um, surrounding areas. Uh, and so um, I guess, you know, what, what that means is, is tenants of, of different regards. So if there's an office building, corn shells built, we will go in and actually build the space for the tenant specific need, um, whether that's a, uh, you know, a tech tenant or an institutional need or uh, a lot of law firms, things like that. Do you have architects on staff or they get the architect that works with them and then you execute on what gets built? Yep. Yeah, we don't we don't do any of the design work um, in our world. You know, c- construction has been around since the, the dawning of time, since it's, it's a very mature industry, uh, which means that a lot of those sort of otherwise vertically integrated things have actually been specialized. And so we have a lot of different sectors to our industry, um, even in the construction realm. You have folks that focus on anything from civil work to finishes to, to what we do, you know, focus exclusively on a, on a very specific sector. We do it really, really well, um, but that's that's where we focus. So yeah, the, the design work, the engineering work, all of that is done by uh, different specialized teams, groups of people. Now, you alluded to this, that the uh, pandemic is obviously challenging for this business. Can you talk about how you've adapted and coped professionally with the pandemic? Yeah, I can, I can try. Um, you know, the the... I've kind of been thinking about this and, and, you know, going back to where we were in, in March, uh, you know, things we were experiencing as a, as a society in January, February, this was sort of, it was a little bit in the newspapers. We had heard about, you know, this outbreak in, in China and, and, um, and eventually in March, uh, you know, the, 
government said, hey, we've got to do something about this. This is this is concerning. We don't know what it is. Uh, and so so, you know, so the mandated shutdowns kind of started taking effect. And, um, you know, initially it's two weeks to to flatten the curve. And we were fortunate that we had, you know, at any given time, we probably have 20 to 30 projects going on at any at any given time. And um, about half of those were considered essential business and qualified for essential business um, and under the order. And uh, we very quickly were able to accommodate all of the things that we needed on site. You got to wear face masks and goggles and gloves and have sanitization and, you know, contract tracing and all that kind of stuff. And, um, I mean, we had we had that stuff up and running within 24 hours. That that was the easy part. Uh, the the tougher part that we've experienced is sort of the longer term economic effects. Right now, uh, of course, office space is sort of out of favor, um, and so all of the projects that we had in the process, while well, we're we've sort of been racing toward this this cliff, um, and and now we've got to figure out what to do once once we're at this cliff. And and that's the tough part is the, just the the erosion of confidence in the market. Um, and trying to figure out what you know what's going to be next. What's what's going to happen? And so this is obviously very stressful then to be operating a business during this time. How have you been coping personally? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I actually don't experience a lot of stress around it. I mean, I used to, um, which is, uh, you know, just, I guess, sort of, sort of my personality. I mean, you've got, you've got, uh, you know, a big payroll number that goes out and, and a lot of people that I feel really responsible for. Um, and, and, you know, we have, we have an exceptional team. It's every single person on our team is, is a fantastic human being and great at what they do. And, and um, we feel very responsible for them. And, and uh, you know, if, there's, if, we can't, if we can't put work in front of them, well, at some point there, there's going to be a hard question that we got to ask. And, and what do we do at that point? And, um, you know, we've, we've been fortunate to this point. Um, and I don't, I don't want to say that we're, you know, in dire straits or anything. But, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's, there needs to be some confidence that is, um, you know, provided to the to the business community that we're going to go one direction or another or there's there's going to be a solution for this before too long um, otherwise it just becomes very difficult and we start having to have tough conversations and so let's talk about that guidance and, and let's talk about seattle and doing business in seattle um, what aspects of running your business in this city or in this region has made navigating through a pandemic more challenging than perhaps it otherwise could be yeah. So, um, you know, on the, on the, on the challenges, uh, pandemic related on the, on the Seattle side. Um, I mean, I think, I think there's, it, it's always easy to be sort of the, the naysayer on it, but it, I, I think there's probably a, um, a way that we could structure the environment around controlling the outbreak that doesn't involve shutting all the businesses down. And, and I think that the, the damage that's being done to um, a lot of the businesses that, you know, frankly, I don't think we've seen the major damage that, that is yet to be done yet if this, if this continues. Um, I, I think there's, there's, you know, there's probably a, a better way that we could have done it where we could have said, um, you know, let's, let's try to maintain that economic activity but, but really be focused on control and, you know, using masks or whatever they need to be um, where we're not putting mom and pop uh, into bankruptcy and, and, you know, telling them that they have to have to shut down their business. It, it, it starts, you know, really people are struggling with their livelihoods out there right now. And, and that's a, that's a tough place for us to be as a, as a society. And any other aspects of going through this pandemic here in Seattle that have impacted you positively or negatively? Um, yeah. I mean, I think there's, uh, you know, w- one of the things is sort of the, um, 
you know, this, this new concept of doing meetings virtually. Uh, it, it, we did a lot of driving around to do face-to-face meetings and, and, you know, you have 15 people in a conference room and, and now all of a sudden, you know, we can be a lot more efficient with our time. We can, you, you know, we burn less gas. We, we, you know, take the, uh, take the, the, uh, the demand off of some of our, our infrastructure, uh, you know, the, the roads, there's, there's a lot less traffic now. Um, and, and, you know, just, just frankly, kind of additional productivity, you get a few more hours of your day back. Um, so I think that's, that's been a great advantage. And we're going to talk uh, changes in Seattle in these last nine months, maybe beyond the pandemic, that have affected you uh, personally or professionally. But first, uh, new this year on Seattle Growth Podcast, we're doing trivia. And so you don't have to have the answer correct, but it's a fun way to (laughs) learn Seattle or Washington trivia. So your trivia Um, question is... This is going to be terrible. (laughs) What year was the Great Seattle Fire that decimated the Central Business District? And extra credit for if you could tell us how it started. Oh gosh, uh, this is one of those that I—it's deep. It's deep in my memory banks, but I couldn't couldn't point to it. Uh, I'm gonna go with 1917. And uh, gosh, I forget how it started. I don't know. I'm not even gonna guess. No guess on how it started, <laughs> but 1917 on the year. We're gonna keep you and the listener in suspense. Okay, uh, right. until later in the interview. Now let's move to changes in Seattle that are far less damaging than the entire downtown burning, which is what happened in the Great Seattle Fire. What changes have you noticed in the last nine months that have impacted you negatively? Gosh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of these things where, you know, change, you can look at it sort of positive and negative, and, and it, it's going to have that effect. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that there's that much significant on the negative side on, on the personal level, honestly. You know, the, the economic effects are, are pretty significant and devastating to, to a sector like ours. Uh, I know there, there's a lot of sectors that have frankly grown. You know, Amazon's continued to grow and Google and Facebook and those groups. But, but uh, you know, groups like ours that, that provide physical infrastructure, we're, we're sort of out of favor. But, um, you know, we had, we had uh, it's, it's, sort of the, it's sort of the simple things, uh, getting together with friends and, and going to parties. And, you know, we had... In, in March and April, I had a couple of trips down to California and 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 uh, in Arizona planned uh, for for different gatherings and and those got canceled. Those got pulled off the off the calendar. Um, and you know, it's 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 as I was walking up to this, I, I was noticing you know here, here I've never seen campus so empty. By the way, this it's, it's really kind of fascinating. Um, but one of the things I like to smile at people as as I walk by, and you have a mask on, and you can't. You know, you, you lose those communication channels of just sort of that human interaction that's so much fun. Uh, it's, you know, you can nitpick anything, I guess. But And what about your business then? Are there any changes beyond what we've already talked about that are impacting your business here in Seattle? Yeah, of, of course. It's, it's uh, you know, we've, we've got to be nimble and, and figure out what people want in terms of physical infrastructure. And we're working really hard at that. Um, the investment community is working really hard at that. Uh, we've, we've um, you know, coming into... 2020 we actually had an initiative to um start building some corn shell uh projects uh primarily multifamily or mixed use projects and and we were working on that initiative and then covid kind of everybody said whoop stop you know the projects that are in process keep building those but anything new we don't know what's going to happen let's sort of figure out what's going to happen and and more recently um the projects that we were in pre-construction on uh we had two of them actually get shelved because they can't find uh uh, the debt support for the project. Um, and the banks are basically saying, well, hey, look, there's this eviction moratorium. So we 
don't have any surety that, that the debt's going to be paid back. You know, one of the, one of the big things that, that I think should sort of be pointed out in this is that this is an ecosystem and, and we are, we are all reliable on, on each other. And, um, you can't shut down one sector of the economy in effect and expect that everybody else won't be, you know, sort of, sort of caught up in that in one way or another. And some people will be significantly affected and some people will just see sort of the end of the ripple, but, but we're all affected by this. Um, and so, uh, you know, under, understanding that, 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 uh, I had a friend that sort of phrased it in a nice way and, and he said, it's, this is not a hierarchy. This is, a, this is an ecosystem. And, and, uh, you know, we, we need to be, we need to be aware of that. And what about positively? You've talked about the lack of traffic and people's willingness to do some of the meetings virtually. Have there been any other changes in Seattle's last year or so that have impacted you personally or professionally in a positive way? You know, one of one of my favorite things to do is is adventure sports, and um, and so it's you know one of the sort of benefits of uh, of doing things virtually is it allows a lot of physical flexibility in terms of or geographical flexibility, I guess, and and you can do you know, meetings from a different state or Eastern Washington or, or, you know, where, where some of the recreation might be a little bit closer. And so for us, that, that means that, uh, you know, we can work for, for our day and then, and then be already at the trailhead, uh, you know, when the workday's done and, and, and jump right into it, um, and, you know, and have fun. So it's, it, you know, kind of make, make better use of, of our time a little bit, but still, still be very productive and, and very efficient with what we do. Uh, and so were there any other negatives that you wanted to discuss that changes that you've seen that have impacted you? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm concerned about Seattle. There's there's a so in our business historically we've we've seen we we look at about 350 to 400 projects a year, um, and that means that you know they they come into the door one one form or another, um, and of of the projects that make that list, they they're projects that have a likelihood of of actually going, and so those are projects that we are putting pricing together. We're looking at the plans. We're understanding what what's going on. And, and we're moving forward with the pre-construction efforts in, a, in an effort to try to win the project. And, and um, so, it, so it gives us kind of an interesting pulse on the region in terms of what is coming out of Seattle and what's coming out of Bellevue and, and what's coming out of, um, you know, other, other communities. And, and we have, over the last seven or eight months, we have seen a significant shift out of Seattle and into the east side. So let's transition to the future. So you, what would you ask of the listener as to what they could do to make Seattle have the future that you'd like to see for it? Yeah, gosh. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's, been, there's been a lot of kind of dust kicked up in, the, in society here over the last few months. And, and um, you know, I, I would encourage to look for an opportunity to be part of the solution. It's, uh, it's sort of the... Um, you know, we can, we can complain about stuff all day long, but, but, uh, you know, one of the, one of the cool things about the entrepreneur community is, is, uh, you know, you're always looking for an opportunity to go, how do I invest in somebody? How do I, how do I create an opportunity for that person? I mean, that's, that's all we do in our business all day long. And, and we, we try to find opportunities for our people and, and opportunities for our subs and, and our clients and, um, and, and people that are outside of that realm. And, and, uh, you know, so there's, everybody can, can help create an opportunity for everybody else and if we can improve that ability to have um those economic conversations and and those uh you know and 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 try to try to help those people out of a out of a bad situation and so let's dive now into the future that you see us on the path to can you go a little bit deeper into 
what you're seeing in the data in terms of where your projects are and what you expect in the next couple of years? In the in the TI business, you know, our, our projects are two to three months long, and we might not know about them, and you know, until until they're basically ready to go. Meaning, we the first the first point that we see them, we will actually be on site within a month. And so, you know, the the durations of these projects, we sort of we sign long term liabilities to support you know short term short term assets, and um, the so the the durations are very very short. And they can be they can be spun up pretty quick, and they can they can be canceled pretty quick. So it's really tough to go, gosh, in, in our business, you know, what are we going to look like in, in two years or three years? Um, I think, you know, anything that helps provide some some certainty to the business community uh, is is good. Um, we have, I, I will say that, you know, when the, when this all started, there was sort of this this idea that no, nobody's ever going to go back to the office ever again. And uh, there's been a lot of surveys done, and, and once people sort of got used to this working from home uh notion it's they've actually most folks have kind of come back the other way and said you know what the the, we actually really like being in the office whether it might not be five days a week anymore but it might be three or four um and getting their kids back to school and and getting kind of in in uh you know in a a better balance of of lifestyle um and so it so it sort of reinforced that the the collaborative environment that the office creates the the ability to um, you know, have a common culture and, and build a common culture, and, and uh, there, there's really value to it. So I think we'll we'll see that rubber band, you know, start pulling those things back over time. The big question for us is is when is that? Um, and you know, there's some vaccines on the horizon and things like that, and I think that really helps. Uh, but I don't I don't know if that's three months away or or three years away. Uh, and you know, time time will tell. In the next ten years, do you see the growth in Seattle continuing, and do you see the growth in the region continuing? Yeah, um, I certainly see it in the region. Absolutely. Uh, I think I think what we'll see is, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, we're, we're seeing we're seeing a trend of, of businesses move out of Seattle. We're not seeing, um, you know, this mass evacuation or something. It's just not it just doesn't work that way. You know, just cost of business is going to be higher there. It's going to be less in, in Bellevue. They're, they're doing a lot of things that are very positive. Uh, you know, long-term trends. This is this is a great place to do business. Um, you know, we, we we don't have an income tax. You know, people are moving up from California. You know, sort of the the fundamental things that make this region great are, are not going to go anywhere anytime soon. It's it's a gorgeous area. We can recreate all day long. Uh, it's you know temperate, beautiful. It's you know we're we're two hours away from the Pacific Ocean or the desert, depending on what you what you want to do. It's you know just a wonderful region to live. Long run, what do you see for Avara Construction? Do you see, you know, a pivot to get through these next couple of years with, uh, you know, corporate office space being less uh, of a thing? Or uh, do you see yourself staying the course? Yeah, I mean, you know, like anything, it's it's sort of um, the, the core of our business is is really t- treating people well. Um, you know, when, when, when I started this, the, the sort of the fundamental thing that I saw was there was an opportunity to treat, uh, I, w- I want to say employees, but, you know, really teammates better. There was a, there was a better, there was a way to, there was an opportunity to, to, to treat people better uh, and, and treat subcontractors better and, and ultimately provide um, the client groups a better team that's more dedicated to their projects. And and so, you know, with, with that sort of as the core, really the, the building of a positive uh, support-based culture as the core, um, we'll build anything. We, we have the ability to, you know, talented folks and, and we can go find more talented folks that, that 
we'll, we'll do anything. So we'll continue to be in the construction business as long as we are a growth-focused economy. Um, and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we're looking at building some apartment buildings right now because that, that's sort of coming into flavor uh, on the east side. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll figure out what, 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 what people want. So now I want to get to concluding thoughts, but first I have to tell you the answer to the trivia question, <laughs> which is uh, the Great Fire, Great Seattle Fire was 1889. Gosh, I was way off. And it was started when somebody spilled glue. Um, oh. A woodworker spilled some glue that caught fire. Okay. So now I want to ask you, we've talked a lot about uh, the changes in Seattle. We talked about your business. Any concluding thoughts? As a society, you know, we're, we're nimble and we're innovative and, and we're always looking for solutions to things. And, um, you know, we'll get through this. It's a big change. It's a big shift. Nobody knows how it'll end. Uh, nobody knows when it'll end. And, and that's sort of creating a lot of uncertainty. But, but I'm, you know, I'm very positive and, and optimistic about our, our futures here. And, and I think there's, there's an opportunity to help make things better for everybody. Ben, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Have an opinion to share? Reach out to me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman. I enjoy hearing how listeners like you are reacting to the interviews. That's at Prof Shulman on Twitter. Please rate and subscribe to Seattle Growth Podcast in your favorite podcasting app, and check out my documentary, On the Brink, now streaming free on pbs.org. That's On the Brink. I hope you'll join me next week. And in the meantime, I'm Jeff Shulman, and I thank you for joining me on this journey of Seattle Growth Podcast and radio show.